This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them, because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. SI Boxing Podcast. Glad you could join me this week because finally... Finally, we have some boxing to talk about. Top rank coming back next week on ESPN. Shakur Stevenson, 126-pound champion. He's going to be the first man out. Uh, you got Michaela Mayer fighting on that card. I'm going to talk about that and much more with Keith Eidek, the senior writer over at BoxingScene.com, a friend of the podcast. We'll get into top rank's plans, uh, future plans for other networks, and uh, Mike Tyson, what are his plans? That's still out there and still a big talking point in the boxing world. A little bit later on, Shakur Stevenson. Uh, he's going to join me on the show, talk about uh, everything he's gone through to get ready for this particular fight. Of course, if you know anything about Shakur, he was raised in the inner cities in New Jersey. And, you know, what's been happening in America, the killing of George Floyd, uh, a lot of that has resonated with uh, a lot of people. And certainly Shakur Stevenson is one of them. We talk a little bit about his experiences with racism and his reaction to the death of George Floyd as well. So stick around for that really good show uh, this week. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, one very easy way you can support it, get over to Apple Podcasts. It's very easy. Post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. I appreciate it. Get over there. Ratings, comments, all that good stuff. It really helps the podcast. All right, on to my conversation with Keith Eidek. All right, joining me now on the podcast, a man whose hair is growing back almost as fast as mine, Keith Eidek, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. What's up, Keith? You could give me 20 years. I couldn't get what you have on your head right now. So, you know what I mean? You planted that. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good. You planted that in my head right before we started, so I had to open up with that. I know. That's fine. I'm used to to berating. Don't laugh at the ball. (laughs) 
All laugh at the bald guy. All right, all right, let's go. I'm used to berating Sergio in, in other ways, so I had to at least get something. I hear you, chest. I hear you. Um, <laughs> all right, man, a lot to get into uh, on this show today. and I mean, we're into June, and boxing is back. Uh, beginning Tuesday, boxing is back in the United States. Uh, Top Rank has as many as six scheduled shows this month, most of them in Las Vegas. Shakur Stevenson will headline the first show. He takes on Felix Car- Caraballo. Am I saying that right? Caraballo? I, I don't even know that. Guy. Yeah, Caraballo. Yeah. Huh? In a 130-pound fight. I spoke, show- I spoke to him yesterday. Yeah. Okay. The show will take place behind closed doors and air on ESPN. No media will be present for at least the first couple of fights, but you know maybe that'll change for them moving forward. So I guess, Keith, your reaction overall to what top rank is doing the caliber of fights that they're putting on and you know what they're hoping to accomplish i guess being first out of the gate in the u.s well someone had to be first right chris and i think they really did a good job of getting a comprehensive safety protocol in place that the nevada commission found acceptable you know they're the guinea pigs to a certain extent so they're you know everyone's going to learn from whatever goes wrong here hopefully not much will go wrong. I mean, there will be little kinks to work out, of course, but they think they have a really good plan in place where people will be kept safe. Um, and, and look, you know, boxing fans, the inherent nature of boxing fans, as we well know, Chris, is they're going to complain no matter what type of fight you put on. Now, some of the fights are not the best fights that you're going to see, but a lot of them are evenly matched fights against, you know, B-level and in some cases C-level fighters, but they should be mostly competitive fights. Now, the first fight, Shakur Stevenson, not much of a not much is known about Felix Caraballo. Of course, he, he has not fought outside of Puerto Rico. There's very little YouTube footage available on him. So, you know, he's not Miguel Mariaga probably, but, you know, who knows? It's the opportunity of the guy's lifetime, so we're going to find out. Yeah, it's an opportunity for Stevenson, too. I mean, you know, he's being put in a position where he's probably going to be a considerable favorite going into this fight. He's going to get, I would imagine, more eyeballs than he's had ever before. I mean, if if mm-hmm. recent history is any kind of precedent, then, you know, this top-ranked show should do pretty well on ESPN. I think we have to remember, and I discussed this last week with Evan Rakowski, that top rank is in a bit of a different position than, say, DAZN or even Showtime or Fox. I mean... ESPN's craving programming. Like, they need live programming right now. They need live sports programming. And that's what Top Rank's going to give them, going Tuesdays and Thursdays, basically throughout the month. And I think that's interesting too, Keith. I mean, putting these fights on weekdays. I mean, I, I, I'm dying to see... There's so many things I'm, I'm interested in seeing how all work out over the next month or so. But how boxing fares on weekdays and if it will, you know entice boxing promoters to go more on weekdays, I think is really interesting. It is. I wrote a story about that for the site a couple of weeks ago, Chris, and I spoke to, you know, Bob Arum and Lou DiBella, Steven Espinoza, you know, guys who are are very familiar with programming boxing. And they said, you know, you're not going to see the highest level fights necessarily on a Tuesday or a Thursday night, but series like Tuesday night fights on USA network, which we grew up watching uh, the ESPN series was a weeknight series with top rank for a very long time. So th- there, those series did well. Yeah, and then there was the shift, of course, mostly to HBO and Showtime, where most fights went on the weekends on premium cable, and we went away from those. Even Friday Night Fights was canceled a few years ago on ESPN, too. So, um, But I think fans will watch. You're not going to get the highest level fights, as I mentioned earlier, but you'll see some competitive fights, some good action fights, and I think enough people will be home and watching, particularly at this time, Chris. I mean, people are starved for live sports, as you mentioned. 
And uh, I think a lot of people will tune into these fights. And, and like I said, people are going to complain that th- those are boxing fans. They're going to complain no matter what type of fight you put in front of them. So uh, we'll get some of that. But I think there will be a large faction of people that will be appreciative just to see live boxing again. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see if it can work in the long term. You know, not necessarily two shows per week, because I don't think there will be a need for that in the long term. But I think if, you know, if it turns into there being some sort of series on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, I don't think that's bad for boxing because being restricted only to Saturday nights and very late on Saturday nights, I don't think is good for the health of the sport overall. So predicting the, you know, the path of the coronavirus and the impact it's going to have on sports is incredibly difficult for even the smartest people in the world. And we are certainly not among them, but you know, at some point, the top-level fighters are probably going to have to make a call, right? Like, they're going to have to decide, do I continue to sit out or do I take 75 cents on the dollar and come back and fight? I mean, as you kind of look ahead, is there a fight or fighters that you think will will take that risk, will get out there? And I'm not talking about... I, like if Terrence Crawford comes back against some C-level fighter, that's not what I'm talking about. If you know if Canelo comes back against some C-level fighter, is not what I'm talking about. But a, a an A-level fight, can you envision? What do you think the first A-level fight is going to be when uh, when this all starts to resume? Well, that's a great question, Chris, because Terrence Crawford is a great example. I remember you had him on the podcast a month and a half ago or so, and he said that he wanted more money to fight without fans and. And I heard him on, uh, he was on the Ock and Barack show, I believe it was yesterday, and I heard some of what he said, and he's not moving off of that stance. I mean, he's not going to take less money. Will he get to a point where he hasn't fought for so long and hasn't earned for so long that he'll change his opinion of that? Of course, there's going to be some point when he would do that, but I wouldn't expect him to be at the front of the line. Um, And also, as it pertains to Crawford, I'm not sure that he's going to, as you said, fight a C-level guy. I think he's going to want to come back against a top guy And can the promote, you know, in this case, top rank afford to take that risk when you don't have fans at full capacity in an arena uh, and don't have some of the revenue streams that you're used to having? I I don't know that they can put on a fight like that. And they certainly can't put on a fight against between him paying him what his contract minimum is against a C-level fighter where you're really not going to get a return on your investment. So uh, Crawford's in a tricky situation. You know, he talked about maybe fighting Pacquiao. Pacquiao supposedly is more interested in that fight than he ever was when he was promoted by top rank. So if they could somehow put that fight together, that'd be fantastic. But that's not the type of fight that we're going to see in September or October even, I don't think. So um, it's going to be interesting. I I wouldn't be surprised if it's Canelo, Chris. And and when you say a high-level fight, I don't know that he's going to fight Gennady Golovkin next because – as we well know, Gennady Golovkin wants to fight Camille Zarameda, and he has a contract for that fight, so that's going to get very sticky. But maybe we see Canelo against Billy Joe Saunders. So if, if I had to guess off the, you know, I would say Canelo might be the first high, high-level fight that we see. But again, you need fans to do that. Can you do a Canelo fight without fans? Eric Gomez has said it's possible. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see Canelo in with, with Golovkin or Billy Joe this year, or, or at least not you know, until December at the earliest. Um, for the reasons you kind of articulated, I think, you know, there's a big gate to be had for Canelo, Billy Joe Saunders, a bigger gate for Canelo versus Golovkin. Uh, I think if if and when Canelo comes back, and he's pretty tied still to that 
September date. Like he wants to reclaim those days after you know a rough year and a half or so uh, in in trying to get them. You know, I I'm just throwing this name out there, but I think it's like a, a Toriano Johnson type. Um, maybe you could you know get them to make Jaime Munguia, but you know my understanding has always been that Canelo doesn't really want to fight Jaime Munguia, and I mean that would be a destruction at this point in Munguia's career. Um, so I, I think when he comes back, it's a low-level fight. You know, Golovkin Zarameta is a low-level fight. Maybe it's not on the same level, but do you have any like what do you think is the future of Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez? Because that that's an A fight. Like that is the undisputed 135-pound championship. Uh, two guys that could certainly do a pretty good gate. They were going to do one in New York if they um, if they had pe- if the pandemic hadn't hit, but. You know, it's not a monster gate necessarily for, for two fighters. What do you think the future of that fight is? Well, when I spoke to Bob Arum about this a couple of weeks ago, he estimated that the gate that he felt they could do at Madison Square Garden would be somewhere between $1 million and $1.5 million. So it's not nothing, but it's obviously not anything near Fury Wilder 3, which did almost $17 million at the gate for their rematch. But it's a considerable amount of money. But he did say... And I spoke to Bob again yesterday, and, and we talk about uh, Lomachenko-Lopez a little bit again. He said that is a fight that he would consider doing without a crowd. Now, neither fighter wants to do that. Uh, Lopez has been pretty vocal about that. He would prefer not to do that, and Lomachenko feels the same way. But they might have to, and that might be the first quote-unquote big fight that we see uh, without a crowd if they're forced into that situation, say, come September maybe even October, but Bob has said that, that he thinks that they could put that fight together for September. That's a great fight, Chris. I, you know, a lot of people in boxing are very excited about that fight. They want to see Lomachenko, who's small for the weight, tested against a big puncher who clearly would be taking a significant step up in class also, but it's a really, really appealing fight. And uh, if they could do that without a crowd, then the question becomes, are they doing it on pay-per-view? Is on I remember before the pandemic started, there seemed to be some debate. They wanted to do it on ESPN, on the network, probably too expensive to do that. But then could you put it on ESPN Plus where people are only paying for This is all based on ESPN being willing to put in a certain amount of money, of course, to make the fight happen. But if you did Lopez Lomachenko on ESPN Plus and it only cost you your $5 monthly subscription, that's a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. Uh for, for a fight of that level. Um, but if they move forward and they do that fight without a crowd, that would be the, fir- that would be the first one of its kind to do that. And, but, but as we said in the beginning, Chris, a million and a half dollars is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's not a small amount of money to lose at the gate. So is this just Bob, you know, kind of throwing stuff out there that's not realistic? I'm not sure, but um, we're going to find out soon enough because these guys want to fight. They definitely told him, both Lomachenko and Lopez told them they don't want tune-up fights. They were offered tune-up fights, one in June, one in July. I think Lomachenko could have fought in June and Lopez in July. Both guys said, we're not interested in tune-ups. We want to go straight to that fight. But then if it takes too long, Chris, is Lomachenko going to be off too long? Because he hasn't fought since last August 31st, I believe it was, when he fought Luke Campbell. He's 32 years old. Um, you know, he'd think he'd want to be as sharp as possible going into the Lopez fight. So that could become an issue at some point. Yeah, and I would say on the flip side, too, you wait too long. And, I mean, Teofimo Lopez has to basically kill himself to get down to 135 for most of these fights. Yeah. He's he's done better in recent fights since he switched his uh, nutritional people and 
and he's been more comfortable, but he's made no secret that, you know, he's he's short-term at 135. He's told me a few times, like, you know, this title fight is like my going-away present at 135. You know, you can't take that fight, you win mm-hmm. a title, maybe, and you uh, you move up after that. So this fight against Lomachenko, I think, will be a swan song at 135 pounds. So you wait too long there, and with guys having some... You know, training still being kind of a challenge, you know, you wonder if he can make that weight safely and make that fight uh, practical as well. And, you know, one of the things to watch, too, is you, you could see events move to some of these states which are starting to allow partial crowds. Like you see a state like Texas where you and I have been many times um, covering fights. They're right now allowing like 25% capacity in some of their venues, which doesn't make up the difference by any stretch, but at least it's some kind of revenue coming in. And maybe you could do what, you know, something akin to what Eddie Hearn is talking about doing with, you know, high-end crowd, uh, high-end people in the crowd, you know, big ticket prices, you know, that comes with a buffet or a banquet or a dinner or whatever it comes along with the, mm-hmm. the bells and whistles. That's, I think that's something to watch over the next, you know, six months or so. If somebody like Jerry Jones gets in the mix and says, look, we'll do it in Cowboy Stadium, you know, you can socially distance 25% of that crowd very easily. Uh, I, and, and I think that's something that, that could become a factor in boxing in the, in the months to come. Yeah, and, and uh, another thing that Bob Arum was talking to me about yesterday was he said, you know, they think they're going to do a fight at the Raiders' new stadium in Las Vegas uh, in the fall sometime. So assuming the NFL schedule starts on time, you know, they'll be playing home games and everything, so it won't be available every Saturday or whatever, I, uh, every weekend, I should say. Hmm. Um, but he said that they would do it, you know, not for the whole stadium. You have it configured for ten or 15,000 people on one end of the stadium or something like that, but that the Raiders are very open to doing that. Uh, so maybe you could see a fight there. And I, I think you'll see fights uh, preferably with crowds by September or October in Las Vegas. And top rank is going to, they're very thankful for what MGM has done to make this all happen. So you will see some fights at either uh, Mandalay Bay or MGM Grand or, you know, their properties in Las Vegas, you'll see fights there for sure. And like you said, if they can get 50% capacity or 25% capacity, they'll at least get some ticket revenue out of it. Um, but we're a long way from from being able to pack a venue with, you know, in the case of MGM Grand, 16,000 people, and, you know, other places, even larger capacities. It's going to be a while before we see that. Yeah, it is. And and that brings my next point about the the future of these super fights, whether it's Tyson Fury against Deontay Wilder the third time, Canelo versus Golovkin the third time, even, bring, even a fight like Errol Spence, Danny Garcia, which would be a sellout crowd somewhere, Texas, New York, wherever you wanted to have it. Um, you know, look, we're not doctors, but I think we can both, you know, we're on the, you know, from listening to all these doctors, it's going to be a long time before there's a vaccine. And even when there is a vaccine for coronavirus, it's not like, you know, poof, there's a vaccine. You could pick it up at CVS. Like it doesn't work that way. So, you know, it, it could be even longer before people get comfortable enough to pack 20,000 into an arena, to pack 16,000 into the Barclays Center or something like that. You know, do these, what, do, you, do you have any guesses on, you know, how these fighters proceed? I mean, they'll, they'll wait it out as long as they can. Like, you know, you can spend the next couple of months, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping that the landscape changes. But at some point, the Furies, the Wilders, the Canelos, the Golovkins, they're going to have to make a call on this. Yeah, and the other thing to take into account, Chris, apart from the safety issues, is the damage that's been done to the American economy. You know, people are, they don't have money to spend 
spend as they once did. There are so many people out of work and and that goes for not only buying tickets, but really goes for pay-per-view also. So, you know, how many pay-per-views they're talking about doing all these fights in the fall where you can't have a pay-per-view fight every every other week or even every, every other month might be asking for, for trouble. Uh, so there are a lot of economic factors involved too. But, but to answer your question, I think, you know, at some point these guys are going to say, I can't sit out a year. I mean, in Crawford's case, he fought in December. As you start getting into the fall, if he doesn't have a fight schedule, he might have to take less money or, or fight someone that he doesn't want to fight necessarily. Um, and that goes for all these guys. But I think we will see some of these fights go overseas for those very reasons, Chris, because if there is a, an investment group in Macau or Saudi Arabia or wherever that's willing to put up big money to bring those fights there in this, say, Fury Wilder 3, and they can take the site fee and make up for what they're losing at the gate, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it stinks for American boxing fans, you know, and in British boxing fans even, uh, to take it somewhere somewhere else. But what are you going to do? At a certain point, you just have to do something to make the fight happen because in the heavyweight division, everything will be held up until Wilder and Fury fight a third time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tell you what, it, it sucks for people like you and me that would – you know, speaking for myself, would definitely go to Fury Wilder 3 if it was in the U.S., will not go if it's in uh, Dubai or, you know, Saudi Arabia or someplace like that. All that being said, like, I really don't have a problem with afternoon boxing. Like, when when some of the stuff is in the U.K. and it happens at 5 o'clock Eastern time, I'm good with that. Like, I'll pass on a decent college football game to to watch a high-level boxing match. I mean, I, I just, sometimes it's it's like those, it's like the argument against, like, summer sports like you don't want to have sports on in the summer because everybody's outside of the pool doing stuff well that's not necessarily true like people are outside the pool yes but you don't put anything quality on during the summer that's why that's why nobody's watching it at this right, point so right. it's kind of like a chicken and the egg kind of thing i'm i'd be curious to see if they brought you know fury wilder over to saudi arabia you know what kind of numbers it would do in the u.s i think it would still do pretty well in the continental states yeah, I think the rating, uh, pay-per-view buys, ratings, whatever, however you want to look at it, uh, th- they would be lower. I mean, just, just because that's a natural, because right. people are outside more and all, or, or doing whatever they're doing in the course of a Saturday that um, that leads you to believe that the pay-per-view buys and the ratings would be higher later at night. But um, I, it, it won't matter at a certain point, as you said, Chris, because they're going to have to do these fights. And if Saudi Arabia or Macau or someplace, you know, in a way different time zone than the United States – is willing to put up the money to do it. They're going to have, they're going to have to take the fight there. So whatever they sacrifice in terms of pay-per-view buys in the U S or viewership in the U S they'll have to do it, but it, but it will be lower. I understand what you're saying. Like they don't try to do that typically. So how would you know? But when they do do it, uh, the, the numbers are usually lower. Now ha- they haven't done a fight quite of that magnitude late in the afternoon or early in the evening. And it would depend on where the fight is, of course. But remember too, when Manny Pacquiao was fought in Macau, the fight was on a Sunday in, in, in China. And it was, you know, so prime time here in the U.S. So maybe if it goes to Macau, they won't have to do that. You know, they've been open to doing that in, in Macau, not in Saudi Arabia, as you well know, you were there. Um, you know, it was different. It was a different time. It was at late at night on Saturday in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. But I don't know, they have some very difficult uh, situations to tackle moving forward. We know that. 
Yeah, no, I, I guess my point on that was if you're getting monstrous Middle East money, maybe you take it off pay-per-view and you get a significantly lower mm. fee from ESPN or Fox or whatever. Maybe they both can show it at the same time. I don't know. Get creative with this stuff. That's what they're going to have to do. they got to get creative. you got to think outside the box for the next 12 to 18 months or else you're going to wind up in a tough spot. You're going to have guys that are just, yeah. you know, getting cobwebs on them because they've been off so long and the guys that come back are not fighting anybody you know, with a proverbial pulse. So I just like to see some creativity from these sides and you know, hopefully you can survive all this professionally. Uh, one other thought on the fight this week. I just noticed that Michaela Mayer, who is going to get some airtime as the co-feature there, how is it possible Michaela Mayer has not fought for a title at this point? Like, don't, aren't like, women, there's like a million women's titles out there. So many of them are vacant. How is it possible that for the last four years, Michaela Mayer has not fought for a title? I mean, not to spring that question on you, but I was just like, as I was preparing for this conversation, I was reading something. It's like, Michaela Mayer wants to fight for a title in 2020. How is that possible? I, I thought Michaela Mayer, Keith, was going to be one of the big things in women's boxing. I really did. Like, she was a U.S. Olympian. Now, she obviously has the look for it that I think could make her a mainstream star. Uh, I, I just, it, feel, it feels like there's been something mismanaged with Michaela Mayer. Well, this is, uh, I, I think if she wins this fight, Chris, I think she could get a title shot after this because this is clearly the best opponent she will have fought as a professional. So if she wins this fight and she doesn't get a title shot, I think, you you know, that's certainly something to explore. But um, the ta- as you know, the talent pool in women's boxing is not very deep. No. And and it, it begs the question, of course, why hasn't she got a title shot so far? But But she's talented. She's a very good boxer. Um, I'm interested to see her in this fight, though, because, again, this is the best opponent she will have fought. See how she responds in, in this 10-round fight, and then uh, you know, see, what you can, see what kind of fight you can make for her moving forward. Yeah, and, and I talked to a top-ranked official today, too, who was telling me that one of the champions at 130 just priced herself out, and that happens. I know Eddie Hearn was dealing with that mm-hmm. with Katie Taylor, sure. where if you know that you've got something valuable, you just – ask for the top possible dollar and, and try to bleed it out of them. I just, you know, one thing with Michaela Mayer was, look, you, you sign with top rank, you get the exposure. It's a great company and all that. But I mean, hell, I would have like loaned her out to fight on every Clarissa Shields undercard to fight on every Katie Taylor undercard. Just, you know, get yeah. people thinking about her because she's kind of been out of, well, Clarissa's emerged as, as a certain level of star, Katie Taylor, a certain level of star. It just doesn't feel like Michaela Mayer is, has done that at this point. She's 29 years old in her prime, um, I'd like to see her more visible at this point on these shows. So, well, maybe there's a uh, a 49 year old former champion she could call out. Hey, and, and, uh, there you go. Get that going. You know? <laughs> uh, and I'm not I'm not taking a shot at Clarissa. I'm just saying there's no one like that that she could. You know what I mean? That she could. And she's not very vocal. I I don't see her being very vocal on social media and things like that. But um, in the case of Clarissa, she, she is, she's very outspoken. She's very vocal on, on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. And obviously the Layla Ali thing took off, you know, because Layla Ali played into it and I, whether she's serious about fighting Clarissa Shields or not, I'm not really sure, but, um, but it certainly got a lot of attention on our website and in a lot of other places. So people are talking about that fight. At least is there someone like that for, there isn't really for, for Michaela Mayer, you know, there's more contemporaries that she could call out, but she doesn't, at least I don't see it. I don't really see her saying much on, so she's not very, you know, calling people out and things like that. I don't really see her doing that a lot. Yeah. And I, I just always, by the way, Clarissa is going to listen to this and take that as a slide. So yes, you're in trouble. The, um, the, <laughs> the well, it won't be the first time. No, no, certainly not. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I just I, I always thought Katie Taylor and Michaela were on kind of a crash course post Olympics that they'd eventually fight, and it just never really kind of materialized. You've heard yeah. everybody yeah. calling out Katie Taylor from Amanda Serrano, who's probably going to fight her this summer, to Cecilia Brakus, who may fight her at a catch weight at some point, and. You know, there's a rematch with one of the women she fought recently. I just, I like to see Michaela Mary get more into that that mix because, I mean, yeah. to your point about the depth of talent in women's boxing, you're right. There really isn't much. So, to 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 build yourself up to a certain level, you've got to just kind of immerse yourself with the top people, like really kind of, you know, stick to them mm. to to kind of be thought of in the same conversation. Chris, if I could just relate it to Clarissa because because this is something I've been thinking about since this whole thing with Layla Ali started. Um, I don't blame her for, I don't want to say chasing the fight, but for entertaining the fight if it's there because Leila Ali is, is the biggest name in women's boxing still because, you know, she's Muhammad Ali's daughter. She was 24 and 0 with 21 knockouts during the course of her eight or nine year career. You know, she didn't fight Ann Wolf, which she's taken a lot of criticism for, but, but she's Muhammad Ali's daughter and she's, and she's become a, a mainstream star, so to speak, in other uh, pursuits. But the thing about it for me, for Clarissa Shields, while I understand entertaining the idea of it, it's sort of a no-win situation for her because she wins the fight. She, she beat a 42, 43-year-old woman who has not fought in 13 years. And if she loses, well, how do you explain that? And I'm not saying she would lose, but, I'm, but that would be very damaging for her brand. And I, she would make a lot of money, and so would Leila Ali, but... It's almost a no-win situation, I think, for Caressa Shields that fight. Yeah, I mean, the money though is the operative. Except, thing, except the money. You know, except if she money. can make five times or ten times what she'd make mm-hmm. fighting anybody else, that it's clearly worth the risk at at this point of her career. But um, yeah, yeah, no, from a, a pure boxing perspective, it isn't. There really isn't a, a win in that in that uh, certain scenario. All right, let me finish with this. Um, Mike Tyson. I, I can't believe it's 2020 and we're having Mike Tyson boxing conversations, but. We are. You know, Mike Tyson wants some kind of fight. Everybody and their brother are calling him out. Promotional companies from Boston to Australia are calling him out. Um, how do you think this ends? I mean, is there? I mean, does does Tyson you know, fight an exhibition against Evander Holyfield? Does he fight like an MMA guy like Tito Ortiz? Could you actually see him in a real boxing match like? CES promotions is kind of calling for offering a million dollars. I mean, how does this end with Mike Tyson? I, I, <laughs> um, I don't think he'll participate in a real fight, Chris. And here's the, the thing I think we could see him in is in an exhibition where he gets paid a healthy sum of money. Maybe if Vander Holyfield gets a healthy sum of money, because people would be attracted to that. Whether The, the problem of course, with that is, if it's not a real fight and you know they're just kind of moving around and they're not trying to hurt each other, what really is the point of it? it? But you could raise a significant amount of money, I guess, if you put it on pay-per-view. But who's going to pay pay-per-view money to watch them in something that they know is not really for real? Mm-hmm. Because at least they, they're around the same age. I think Evander is four years older than, than Mike. And um, so they're in the same age range. I don't want to see, and I don't really think he's entertaining it, but I don't want to see Mike Tyson fight even if it was a B-level guy who's 30 years old or 32 or whatever, who's much younger than him. Cause here's, here's my question to everyone who keeps saying, Oh, he looks great on these videos. And look, listen, Mike Tyson did not want to fight in 2004 against Danny Williams in 2005 against uh, Kevin McBride. 
what makes you think that he wants to fight in 2020? He said to Jim Gray in that interview after the, I believe it was the Kevin McBride fight. He said, Mm -hmm. I don't have this in me anymore. This is not who I am anymore. He was, I believe, 39 maybe when that happened. He's now going on 54 later this month. Look, Mike Tyson will beat the crap out of all of us, I'm sure. And he, and he, you know, if you've met him on the street, you don't want to fight him. But I, I see people saying, oh, he, you know, from what I saw in that video, he could beat Tyson Fury and Deontay. Let's calm down. It, it was a five-second video. And again, while you wouldn't want to meet Mike Tyson in alley, that does not mean that he could beat it out. And, and who's going to sanction that? The guy's 54 years old and he hasn't fought in 15 years. Mm. Who's taking that risk to put him in there against a real heavyweight. If they, and also, like, you know, people, oh, he could fight for a heavyweight title. Based on what? He lost his last two fights to Kevin McBride and Danny Williams. You're going to give him a title shot in his first fight back just because once upon a time he was the baddest man on the planet? I mean, what? And then I have other people, you hear other, oh, well, George Foreman did it. George Foreman was 37 when he started his comeback, not 54. Mm-hmm. You know, he was nine years younger when he beat Michael Moore than Mike Tyson is now, so... And I'm not saying Mike's trying to do some extended comeback, but it's just, look, we all wax nostalgic. And of course, you know, I grew up, I was in high school when, when Mike Tyson was the phenomenon, you know, a few years before he beat, uh, before he lost to Buster Douglas. So I get it. I mean, you know, Mike Tyson was unlike anything we've ever seen in boxing to some extent, but, but that was 35 years ago. Like, what are, what are we doing here? You know, it's just, uh, I don't, I don't understand it. And it, so I guess my short answer, and I just gave you a very long one. My short answer is I could see him being in an exhibition where he gets paid a decent amount of money. The other thing is he doesn't really need money now. He's involved, he's had people kind of helping him out financially for quite some time. And he's in a good place where he's involved in this marijuana company and all that. I don't think he needs the money. So if it were a matter of him being desperate and destitute, maybe then he would do it, but he's not. So he's, I think he's just having some fun. And he, and he looks great on the pads for five seconds, but he didn't have the best stamina when he was 22 years old or 32 years old. And now he's or whatever. Now he's 30 years older. So I don't see it. No. And, and the novelty of Tyson Holyfield three would wear off in a matter of days when you start looking at footage of Tyson at the end, footage of Holyfield at the end too. I mean, he was slow at the end and, you know, yeah. watching some of his pad work, I mean, he's, still pretty slow at this point of his life, which he should be. He's the best conditioned 57-year-old I know, but that doesn't mean I want to see a 57-year-old, you know, climb back in the ring, nor do I think that they would, you know, kind of wail away on each other in in something that would turn into mm. this, you know, epic, you know, old man type of fight. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the, the solution is. I don't need to see him in a regular boxing match against some journeyman, like has been suggested. I don't need to see him against uh, in bare-knuckle fighting or anything like that. The one thing I think could be amusing, and I don't know how familiar you are with this, but Barstool Sports does this thing called Rough and Rowdy. So they go to, like, West Virginia, and they do... These are all sanctioned, by the way. These are sanctioned boxing matches. I went to one in Charlotte a few years back. They do this event called Rough and Rowdy where they have two, you know, two guys that really have very limited boxing experience go at each other for three one-minute rounds. And then... You know, when that fight's over, the next two get in within a matter of minutes. How about, like, Mike Tyson is just there fighting guys that want to come in and fight him? Like, do you just have these these stumble bums that think they can take a shot from Mike Tyson that stroll into the ring and just get clobbered? Like, I would pay pay-per-view money to see that. There's probably nothing else I'd pay 
pay-per-view money to see Mike Tyson involved in, not in a real fight against the Tyson Fury. That that would just be sad to watch to see a six foot nine Fury just toy with Mike Tyson. That just wouldn't be fun. It, there's no there's no Rocky Balboa moment coming out of this where you know all of a sudden Tyson. Mm-hmm can show something against the top level heavyweight, nor do I care about the you know, Lennox Lewis's or any of these other guys that, that could potentially get in the ring with him. But you want to have some amateurs sign up for it, Keith? I'd pay to watch that. Like we all, we all laughed. We all laughed Keith when Mike Tyson dropped, what's his name? Uh, Zach Galifianakis in the hangover. Like give me mm-hmm. some professional version of that sign waivers, get in there. There's no headgear in rough and rowdy. Cause it is technically you know, professional level boxing, there's referees, there's judges, all that stuff. So sign me up for Mike Tyson versus, you know, the rough and rowdy crowd for one night. I'd pay real money for that. So what we have here is Chris Mannix advocating Mike Tyson beating up hillbillies in West Virginia. Is that well, the I mean, gist of it? That'd be hillbillies. I think they were in Youngstown, Ohio at one point. Yeah, I actually covered that in Youngstown, Ohio. When when Tyson fought in the exhibition, I actually was there. <laughs> Don't ask me why, but I but I was there. But anyway, um, but I think there would be – I hear what you're saying. You want to see Mike Tyson just knock the crap out of some guys. But didn't we see that in his rise throughout the heavyweight division? We saw that already. Yeah, but it's like it's like right? people – Keith, it's like people <laughs> – it's like people watching The Last Dance. Many of us saw what Mike Tyson did coming up, but many of us didn't. Many of us don't know the True. fearsome puncher that he point. was. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, look, I think my, people want to – Mike Tyson is still one of the more fascinating people in the whole world. Forget about boxing. I mean, people are drawn to Mike Tyson. You, you see it even in the – Chris, when we're covering fights, is there any more buzz that you hear in an arena than when Mike Tyson walks in? I mean, no. people people still get excited. I mean, it's still, he's still Mike Tyson, despite losing to Kevin McBride and Danny Williams and biting Evander Holyfield's ear and all the crazy things that have happened in his career. People, there's still something about Mike Tyson that people won't that, that no matter what he does doesn't change their opinion of him. They're still enamored with Mike Tyson. And he, look, all the other fighters that come into arenas when we're there, the holy people who beat him, Holyfield, Lennox Lewis. They don't get the kind of reception that Mike Tyson does. He still generates interest, and it's outside of boxing. People are fascinated with him. So I do think to some extent people would buy whatever, you know, beating up random guys or whatever, although I think there would be a lot of liability involved in that, so I'm not really sure that they would allow that, um, even in West Virginia or places with weaker commissions. But uh, but P- uh, th- this really speaks to how – fascinated people still are with Mike Tyson more than anything, because I don't think, I don't really think he's serious about coming back to fight in a real boxing match. And one of the things you mentioned before about him and Holyfield, that the novelty would kind of wear off quite quickly. They're friends now. It's not, you know, and and they'd be telling you going into it that this is not a real fight. You know, this is kind of us just moving around and blah, blah, blah. One thing though that I'll say, and Shannon Briggs brought this up because Shannon has wanted to do a, a charity fight with Mike also. He said, you know, Mike's nuts, so you never really quite know. You, you know, you all ha- you have all these pe- plans going in there that you're just moving around and you're not really trying to hurt each other. And then he snaps and tries to take your head off. You have to be ready for that. And to some extent, that's probably true for whomever he would fight. I would say this, though, about like, I mean, wasn't West Virginia the state that allowed Tommy Morrison to fight in it after he tested positive for HIV? Yeah, man. I mean, like I said, there are weak commissions all over that will allow you to do whatever you want for all intents and purposes. <laughs> so who knows? But but if he was more, like I said, Chris, if he was more desperate for money, 
I, I could see it happening more, but he doesn't want a real football. Well, why does he want a real fight at 54 when he didn't want one at 34? You know, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. I, I'm just saying, I, if, if, he, if he comes back in that type of event where he's busting up, you know, average Joes, I'm there. I'm ringside. <laughs> and you'll be there, I too. See you. I, I, I want to see you lined up. I want to see you no. on the line somewhere. No, no, I'll, no, I'll no. I'll pay no. for that. No, no, no. I got, I'll pay for that, for sure. I got him plenty of scraps, but I had a glass jaw back in the day. It wasn't uh, <laughs> I wasn't the most formidable uh, uh, chin, that's for sure. Uh, Keith, uh, keep up the good work, man. Hopefully, we'll have more to talk Appreciate about it, in the weeks and uh, months to come as boxing gets moving. But uh, for now, let's see what, uh, what happens on June 9th. Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, you're welcome, man. At least we got some fights, man. I appreciate you having me on. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And... As long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital, rated R. All right, joining me now on the show, he is the 126-pound champion on June 9th. He's going to move up to 130 pounds. He's going to fight Felix Caraballo, one of the first fights back in boxing in North America and the first show on U.S. soil since this global pandemic uh, took hold. And he's also, as you've li- if you listen to the podcast before, he's a huge fan of my judging. He is Shakur Stevenson. What's up, Shakur? What's up? What's up? What up? So how are you feeling these days? How is... How has life changed for you? I mean, how have what's been going on in your world the last couple of months? Uh, we just been working around um, the pandemic, and uh, I usually like I go to Colorado Springs for training camp and stuff like that. So we kind of switch it up. I've been in uh, Texas and Houston, and um, we just switched training camp up and getting around the pandemic and uh, been working. So when you getting ready you, for this fight, when you switch training camps up. 
I mean, how much different is your training because of what's been going on? I mean, it's not a lot different. I got my uh, whole team here, uh, my team, my coaches is here, uh, my cook here. So uh, it's not too much difference. It's just uh, the altitude and uh, the training times. Are you able to spar? Yeah, I've been able to spar a lot. Mm. So, you know, you go back. You were, I think, the last fight to get canceled before the pandemic hit, just days away from fighting at Madison Square Garden. And you went through a tough training camp to make 126 pounds. I mean, how did you feel after that fight got got canceled? I was uh, mad at the fact that I trained eight weeks and got ready, spent a lot of money in camp, um, spent a lot of money on all that camp stuff, and then having a, uh, my fight get canceled, I kind of was uh, salty about that whole situation. So, mm. so when, when Top Rank comes to you, and says, look, we can do a, a fight for you behind closed doors, no crowd. Uh, what, what was your first reaction? Uh, my first reaction, uh, it really didn't matter to me because that's what I was hearing about um, when I was supposed to fight March 14th. They said it was going to be no crowd. So I was already in the mind state of fighting with no crowd. It, it, it don't really matter to me. I feel like it's like sparring. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, how different? Do you, I mean, you've been an Olympian. You've gone through all sorts of different locations for fights. So I guess fighting in front of a light crowd is probably not all that unusual and all that new for you. But how do you think you're, you're going to react to the experience? I think I'm respect. I'm, I'm react uh, real good. I think that, um, like I said, it's just like sparring. Like it's nobody in the arena. Um, people going to be watching on TV. So. I think I'm gonna have a good reaction to it. I think it ain't gonna bother me at all. Mm. And the the decision to jump up to 130 pounds was that is this a permanent move for you, or do you think you'll be back at 126? Uh, I might come back to 126 for the right fight. So if it's the right fight, I'll come back and fight uh, Warrington or something at 26. But if not, I'll probably be moving up to 130 for sure. Does Josh Warrington still matter to you? I mean, it matters that uh, me and him is like the biggest fight at 126, and we're trying to get that done. But uh, nah, he don't, he don't really matter to me, to be honest with you. Have you watched, I mean, I don't know how much UFC you might watch, but like some of their shows they've done with no crowd in attendance. Have you watched any of those to kind of get a feel for what it might look like out there? Nah, I didn't even watch it. I didn't even, uh, I knew they do, they were doing shows, but I didn't watch it or nothing. Mm. I didn't see nothing yet. Have you talked to your team about like how to? I mean, I don't know how much you as a fighter feed off the crowd. I mean, is there is that part of your your kind of your whole fight experience, kind of feeding off what the crowd does? Nah, not too much. Um, I try to block the crowd out. To be honest, I'm the type of fighter that block the crowd out, and I kind of focus more on what I'm doing it for and my reason for doing it, my motivations and stuff like that. So, nah, it's not really going to be like I need the crowd to feed uh, me energy or anything like that. I'm at energy already. Hmm. Did they, t- I mean, what kind of protocols and what kind of stuff do you have to go through before you can get in the ring? Are there different things they have to, they have to do to make sure you're tested? Do you have to be quarantined a certain period of time? How does all that work? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure right now. I know that I've been more like in the gym by myself and a couple of people been in the gym, but I just got tested and stuff. So I'm not sure how they're going to do a fight week. I don't know. Like what's the, whole plans and stuff yet 
you get stuck with those really bad tests that they go right up to your nose to your brain there or is there something different you're using nah i had a different test they uh they gave me like a cotton swab and they had to like rub inside mm. uh like circular motion and then um, give it back mm. and put it inside this little thingy mm. So not like so one of the really know. bad ones that we've seen on. Nah, I didn't get a bad test. I heard I, I thought I was. I actually went there thinking like I was going to get the bad test. And it, it's another fighter that's with me that's fighting on the card. Now we're going to make him go first just to see like <laughs> what, what, uh, what the test was like. But nah, they had an easy test and got it done. Hmm. You were uh, you had a couple of opponents kind of be talked about before they settled on Carabao there. Do you know much about him? I mean, how are you preparing for him specifically? I don't know nothing about him. I watched like one or two rounds, and I turned him off. Like I don't think he, I think he ain't got nothing for me. So mm. that's all I needed to know. But uh, the other opponent, he couldn't get inside the country on um, Rafael Rivera. Mm -hmm. It'd have been uh, a better fight. Do you think that, I mean, having a fight like this and, you know, Jamel Herring fighting next month, uh, it's great to get back into the mix. Do you think there can be those, like, you know, say you and Josh Warrington. I mean, could, is it even possible for you and Josh Warrington to fight unless there's a big crowd there to go and see it? Yeah, I wouldn't even want to fight Josh Warrington unless there's a big crowd. I think that was my whole purpose, uh, specifically picking him because I know he got he could uh, fill up an arena in England and have 30,000 fans at the arena. So um, that was really one of my main things for wanting to fight him, mm -hmm. honestly. So it if, wouldn't be no point in me fighting him with no crowd. If you get through a fight like this, I mean, are these, are these types of fights, would you want to stay busy doing these types of fights or do you want to wait you know after you get through a fight like this and try to get that big fight i mean how do you strategize your your next six months i'm not really the type of fighter that uh that do a lot of like stay busy fights i like the biggest and the best fights so um after this fight i'm gonna be looking and waiting until i could get in the ring with um a bigger name you know make myself known at the 130 weight class or beat up on a big name at 126 so I'm not really the type to keep fighting like, you feel me, don't type of fighters. 130's got to excite you a little bit, no? I mean, you got so many good fighters there, and they're all kind of within your grasp. Like, you can, you, they can make those fights, theoretically, all with top rank. Yeah, uh, my main person I want there is actually two, uh, but the main one I want is Santa Cruz if uh, he don't get to fight Tank. For whatever reason, I, I would rather fight Santa Cruz. And... Second person is Oscar Valdez because we got unfinished business. Mm. Why does everybody want to fight Leo Santa Cruz? I think that uh, Santa Cruz. I think he got the biggest biggest name at one thirty. If I'm being honest, I think he got a bigger name than all of them. So I think he'll be a better name on my resume than anybody else at that weight class. You think he can beat a guy like Tank Davis? Nah, <laughs> nope, not at all. I don't either. I think Tank on <laughs> Washington. I, I don't think that's I a good know. fight for him. He'd be lucky to survive. That, that's just that's not a great fight for Leo. That's that, that feels like a yeah, little I think bit Tank big. Tank a lot bigger than him too. I think that uh, Tank ain't really no thirty pounder no more. I don't even know if he can make thirty pounds actually, mm -hmm. one hundred and thirty pounds. Because even his last fight, he fought uh, one thirty five and he came over like two pounds or, mm -hmm. or something like that. So. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Do you do you feel any different physically at 130? I mean, is now that you don't have to squeeze those extra four pounds, has it given you anything? I haven't fought day yet, so I gotta see like how I feel like after the fight. But as far as like camp, it's been like the weight the weight cut is easier mm. for sure. Steve, this um this environment obviously is incredibly different. Has been for a couple of months, but. You know, the last week or so, Shakur, watching what happened with George Floyd, watching what's happening around the country, you're a kid from, you know, Newark, New Jersey in the city. I mean, how, how do you react to what you've been seeing? Uh, I know it's, um, it's a lot going on, but I think that, uh, like, this is a time like this, like, we need it because, uh, like, a lot of that stuff been going on for a while, and uh, now people starting to, like, people have been standing up, but they standing up a lot more right now, so. I think that it's good that this is going on and uh, like I'm with my people on, on, on how they feel about this. Have you experienced, have, have you experienced stuff like that? You know, not maybe not exactly what George Floyd did, but growing up in the city, I mean, what kind of racism from police did you experience? See, I ain't really uh, get like no racist police when I was in Newark. Like I ain't really had that type of, Problem, but when I went to Virginia, like I moved to Virginia, I felt like I, I ran into a couple of them racist police. Like I had an experience where I was on my way to actually spar Tank, uh, right before Tank was getting ready for his world title, and the cops, uh, I guess my coach was driving and he was speeding, and the cops had pulled us over. But when they pulled us over, the cop had his gun out, pointed at our window. And he just pointed the gun at our window and telling us to put our hands outside the uh, window, like where he, where he could see him. But I, I ain't understand. Like we were just speeding. Like it wasn't like no. Like, I ain't understand like why he did all that. Then uh, he made us get out the car, um, start checking us and all that type of stuff. And uh, they end up saying that they they thought uh, the car was stolen. They had somebody that stole a car. And that's somebody had stole a car in the, in that city or something like that, like like that. And they it was some crazy crazy kind of car that they were talking about. But that, I think that was some bullshit. Mm. Yeah. How did you feel after the fact? Yeah, I it was regular for me. I felt like I done ran into a couple of cops like that, so it was kind of regular. But that was kind of like the worst one. But I done ran into like cops, and I already I already be feeling like cops. It, is that type of way, like certain cops. So when I run into a cop, I already be having it in my brain already that these cops going to be this way. So it don't really, like, it ain't, you feel me? It was, re- it was regular for me. You're a young athlete, and, and you're going to probably get asked about this by other interviews in the week, I mean, as a, as a young star in boxing. What do you hope comes out of all this? You know, what, what do you hope changes, you know, because of this? How is How is the death of George Floyd not... You're not kind of wasted, so to speak. I just hope that uh, the cops start stop uh, being the way that they is. Like they kind of like it's kind of like the police is like the gangs too. Like they talk about gang stopping gang violence and stuff like that. But it's like they they just as much as a, a gang as like the gang. So I just hope that uh, that that stop too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. That's a 
That's a big part of it. Uh, last question for you. Uh, I spent an hour on the phone with your cut man, Stitch Duran, who I'm going to write about next week as well. Interesting, interesting character. I mean, how important to you as a fighter is the cut man in your corner? And what did you know about Stitch? I know he worked with Andre Ward for a while um, as his cut man and many other guys, but what do you know about Stitch and what do you think of him? I think Stitch is uh, a cool dude. And um, I know that he worked with, Dre, that's that's really my experience from him. Like I saw him firsthand with Dre, and uh, he, I heard that he, I hear he do, does his job good and stuff like that. But I haven't really had no experience where I I got cut or anything like that in a fight yet, so I wouldn't know like how how really good he is. But I'm, we we uh we gonna figure it out. Like everything everything with him is good. So mm. he he a good dude, and he rap hands really good too. Mm. Real, real good dude, though. Well, hopefully you don't have to use a cut man anytime soon in these uh, these upcoming yeah. fights. Uh, Shakur, man, good luck. June 9th uh, on ESPN. It's going to be an interesting to see how the crowd looks, how, how the whole scene looks. But uh, good luck to you, man. Hope to catch up with you soon. All right. Thank you. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.